0: Thank you, Thurl. Good morning. I can say confidently, I can begin by saying confidently, He is risen. And what a wonderful blessing it is to be able to to say that this morning. Of course, we don't just say that on Easter Sunday, but we proclaim that every Sunday here. And we are honored to have all of our visitors here. We're delighted to see you, and we would love to see you back at any opportunity that you might have. And uh, we proclaim that every Sunday. Uh, I want to begin with a statement that I usually begin on Easter, and it's from the great Martin Luther, who said this Our Lord has written the promise of the resurrection, not in books alone but in every leaf in springtime. And I just love how it encapsulates the hope of life that we have in Christ. That in the spring, when we see the rekindling of life, it is also that promise to each of us that we too shall live again. That we too shall rise one day. I want to begin also by talking about perspective. And about what we see. Because isn't that what the Apostle John is talking about with Thomas? That Thomas, when he saw the risen Christ, he wanted to see the nail prints. He wanted to see so that he could truly believe that Christ was like the disciple said, that he had indeed rose from the dead. And so he wanted to see it for himself. And Jesus offers a blessing on them and then he offers a blessing on those who believe and yet who have not seen. Talking about us here today. But thinking about what we see. There's a football player that played in the 70s and some of you might remember him for the Kansas City Chiefs by the name of Fred Arbanas. And he played and he was a great football player and a part of many championship teams and uh, MVP. He was a great tight end. Some of you women are like, "Uh uh-oh, he's telling a sports story. But it was interesting because Fred was blind in one eye. He had a glass eye. So think about playing professional football with one eye. Now, it's, it's hard enough, isn't it, to play football? But to have one eye and not to be able to see everything that's coming at you, can you imagine how, how much of an athlete he was to be able to excel in the professional football league with one eye? Fred was a great football player. He was a great athlete. But one day when he was playing football, someone hit him so hard that that glass eye popped out onto the field. Can you imagine what the football team thought about that? Imagine the guy that hit him. And so Fred goes over, and he picks up the glass eye, he walks over to the sidelines, and he washes it off with the water, pops it back into his eye, back into his head. Well, one of the refs said, Man, Fred, you are a tough guy. What would you do if you lost your other eye? And Fred didn't miss a beat. He said, that's easy. I'd become a ref. (laughs) What do we see? A lot of us want to see things to believe, don't we? A lot of us want to see it for ourselves to believe. And sometimes people think that faith is strictly the providence province of of religion, in particular Christianity, that we're the only ones that have faith. But really, faith is a vehicle that's used in every discipline. It's needed in every discipline. Think about just within science itself. Think about just within cosmology, the origin of the universe. Scientists say that it was 13.8 billion years ago who observed it. Who was there? And the only way that we know things about it, other than from God's revealed Word, the only way that we know it scientifically is by what we see in the universe today. And so we make predictions about what happened in the past. We make inferences about, we see things the way that they are, and then we say, well, it must have been this way so many years ago. But we're making statements and claims that involve faith, don't we? Think about just the discipline of psychology. When someone tells the psychologist how they're feeling, does the psychologist really see that or perceive that or know that? No. When someone gives you a story from their memory, have you indeed seen that, enjoyed that? None of us. Think about The field of history, and that's really what we're talking about tonight, today, with the story of the resurrection of Jesus. How many of you have met Abraham Lincoln? How many of you have met George Washington? But yet you believe that these men, these individuals, existed in life, don't you? So, what about Christ? What about his resurrection? What about death? One of the things that we all confront in our lives, the older we get especially, that we begin losing people we know and people that we love, don't we? We lose the people that we love. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. We begin to see that play out in our lives, don't we? And we lose people. And it seems final, doesn't it? Because we don't get to enjoy their company anymore. I remember the words of Stephen Hawking, the famed, eminent scientist. And it was interesting what I saw after he died. Because in his life, he said many things. Here's just one of the things that he said. Science predicts that many different kinds of universes will spontaneously be created out of nothing. Nothing. It is a matter of chance that we are in it. Or because there is such a law as gravity, the universe can and will create itself out of nothing, he writes. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing why the universe exists and why we exist. It just happened that from nothing sprang everything that you see. And he went on to discuss the afterlife. And listen to what he says. He says, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. It's just a a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. But yet after he died, it was amazing the things that I saw because I saw a picture, because if, as most of you know, he was confined to a wheelchair. He was in terrible physical health for most of his life. And I saw pictures on the internet where they shot, showed his silhouette next to a wheelchair, walking away from the wheelchair. But is that what happened? Is that what he believed would happen? Here they were portraying a man's destiny in which he had no absolute faith in. Is is the story of the resurrection just for people like us who are scared of the dark? Is that what we really are? We're just scared of death? You know, sometimes I'm amazed that actually it's people who are living that need hope. A lot of times they say, oh, the Christians need hope for death. People need hope for death, but actually people need hope for life. Yeah. Not too long ago, I was in a, by a hospital bed talking to a young man <laughs> in the very prime of his youth. I'm talking about 20 years old paralyzed, on a ventilator. And I asked him, I said, can you tell me how you got into this bed, how you became paralyzed? And I thought I knew the answer. I thought I knew the answer of how he ended up in that bed. And when he told me how he ended up in that hospital bed, it took my breath From me. He said, I got in an argument with my family. When I got home, I took the rifle and I shot myself in the neck. People don't just need hope for death, they need hope for life, and that's where Christ comes into focus for us. Because without Christ, without that hope, people are living and dying in misery living without purpose in their life. There is a desire for hope, isn't there? No matter what a person's background, no matter what a person's worldview, no matter what a person's faith system, they desire for something to happen after death. And most of the time, it's not for themselves, it's for other people, right? I'm reminded of the words of Robert Ingersoll, another atheist who was at his brother's funeral and he said this, life is a narrow veil between the cold and barren peaks of two eternities. We strive in vain to look beyond the heights. We cry aloud and the only answer is the echo of our own wailing cry from the voiceless lips of the unreplying dead. There comes no word, but in the night of death, hope sees a star. And listening love can hear the rustle of a wing. Even that atheist at his brother's funeral desired to see some form of light, some hope for death. He said something very interesting, from the voiceless lips of the unreplying dead, there comes no word. Is that true? Do we live with just the silence of the dead? Maybe within our lives we do, but there was one who rose and who speaks from death and who is alive. Do you remember that story that Jesus tells? It's a haunting story of the rich man and Lazarus, and it's about the afterlife. And he describes that the rich man who was affluent and had everything in life ends up in a terrible place, a place of torment. And Lazarus, the poor man, the beggar, ends up in heaven. And what he says at the very end, the rich man begs for one thing. He begs that, 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 that Abraham send Lazarus back, that he raises him from the dead so he could warn his brothers. And Abraham replies, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And isn't that true for our world? That so many people disbelieve, yet someone has indeed risen. Will you be persuaded today? You know, there's things within our, our experience that point us to the supernatural, to the spiritual truths of our existence. For one... We have a sense sometimes of being detached from time itself. C.S. Lewis said it like this we're, We are so little reconciled to time that we are even astonished at it. How he's grown, we exclaim. How time flies, as though the universal form of our experience were again and again a novelty. It is as strange as if a fish were repeatedly surprised by the wetness of water haven't you ever felt that way? That you felt as if time was behaving in such a way, and it's, it's what, all we know. We've never known anything except for time, but yet we're so little reconciled to it that we're amazed by it. Another thing within our experience is our, atten- our intense longing for something else. You know, when you try to satisfy yourself with the world, you find yourself insatiable. We're never satisfied with this world. We're always longing for something else, and that something else is eternity with God. Another thing that points us to the supernatural is the moral order that we find in this world. We have visceral responses to that which is evil. When we see evil, when we see the things that happen into this world, we viscerally respond to it. don't we say that's evil, that's wrong, that's right. And also, the supernatural fact of love. And again, when we begin to think about the afterlife, is it so much that you want to just survive? Or is it you want the love that you have for someone else to survive? When I think about the people I've lost in my life, it's not so much that I want to go on, it's that I want my love for that person to go on. And isn't that the promise of the resurrection? Now abide these three things, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. So when we talk about the resurrection and the truth of the resurrection, there are six facts There are six facts that the historian must look at and say, is this indeed true? And how do we explain all six of the facts? The first one is, is that Jesus lived. H.G. Wells said this, I am a historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that the penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is the most dominant figure of all time. Think about that. To say that he did not exist would be so preposterous, wouldn't it? The most influential person of all time to say that he didn't exist. How could we say that? He created such a ripple in time that we are here today. Jesus indeed lived. Consider this fact. That within 150 years of Jesus' lifetime, that 42 people wrote about Him. Nine who were secular. And you compare that to the emperor of the world during his lifetime, Tiberius. And there were ten writings about him. 42 writings within 150 years and 10 writings about the emperor of the world. And one of the sources that we have for Tiberius's life is the book of Luke. Jesus lived. Number two, Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. The scholar Bart Ehrman, who is not a friend to Christianity anymore, but he is a New Testament scholar, a historian, said... That we can be assured of the fact that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And And the fact of the matter is, why would anybody make it up? What advantage did it give Christians that their leader was crucified? We have it corroborated by Suetonius. And Jesus died in front of his friends, his family, his enemies, his followers. And the world saw him suffer. Number three fact, that Jesus was buried in a tomb. A.T. Robinson, the great scholar, said, the burial of Jesus in the tomb is one of the earliest and best attested facts of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin court, that condemned him. What we know about Jesus is that he was crucified and that he was buried. Number four fact, that women found the tomb empty... On Sunday morning, on the first day of the week, women came to the tomb, and they were the ones who discovered that it was empty. Sometimes people ask, well, why does this matter? Well, because during the first century, if we were going to engineer a story for everybody to believe, we would have have pictured Peter or John discovering the empty tomb. Why? Because women's testimony, and I'm sorry ladies, this isn't because of me, this is because of the viewpoint of the the Jewish authorities of the day, didn't think highly of women's testimony. In fact, women weren't even allowed to testify in a court. But yet in the gospel stories in the first century, who do you find discovering the empty tomb? Women. Why do you suppose that's in there? Because it happened. It's not because it's convenient. It's not because it looks good. It's because it simply is true. And in fact, when the the women came to the disciples, look what happens in Mark 16, 10 and 11. She sent and told those who had been with Him who were mourning and weeping. And when they had heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen Him, They did not believe her. Jesus' tomb was found empty. Fifth fact, there were appearances of Jesus after His death. After His death, He appeared to His disciples. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the women. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to John. He appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to the apostles multiple times, 500 brethren at once. How do we explain it? Well, maybe they were hallucinating. I've experienced hallucinations before, but I've never experienced hallucinations with 500 other people. Have you? And even if you could explain the appearances of Jesus, how do you explain the empty tomb now? Once again, the explanation has to cover all of these facts. And then, lastly, the extraordinary faith of his disciples. His disciples believed fervently that Christ was indeed raised from the dead. They believed that they saw the risen Jesus, they believed that they interacted with the risen Jesus. Not that they saw Him, but they ate with Him. They had Bible study with Him. And in fact, they believed it so much that Peter was crucified upside down. That Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. That Matthew was impaled with spears in Ethiopia and then beheaded. Nathaniel was whipped to death. Thomas was speared to death. Philip was impaled with iron hooks. James, the son of Zebedee, beheaded by King Herod, which is revealed in Acts 12, 1 and 2. Simon the zealot, crucified. Jude, crucified. Matthias, stoned and beheaded. Paul, beheaded. How many of you would sign up to die for a lie that you knew was a lie? Anybody Ready? The fact of the matter is is his apostles, his disciples believed that Jesus was indeed risen. And that's why they weren't afraid of death. Because they knew that Jesus has the last word on death. The great Simon Greenleaf, who is the founder of Harvard Law School, wrote a book called The Testimony of the Four Evangelists who concluded his book, he began his book, his investigation of the resurrection as an unbeliever, as a skeptic, ended it with this statement. Either the men of Galilee were men of superlative wisdom and extensive knowledge and experience and of a deeper skill in the art of deception than any and all others before them or after them, or they have truly stated astonishing things which they saw and which they heard." So which is it? Will you be persuaded today that Christ indeed lives? Why does it matter? It matters because, number one, there is a God. You can't have a dead man supernaturally rising from the dead grave without God existing, right? Number two, that the law and the prophets are true. The Old Testament's true with all those prophecies that talk about Jesus rising from the dead and His life here on earth. They're true. The teachings of Jesus are true. Your sins can be forgiven through Jesus. Christ is truly reigning from heaven. The gospel is truth. The spirit of God indwells, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead Romans 8:11 can indwell in you and give your body life. And lastly, we will live. We will rise. Even for those who don't believe will rise. We shall bear the image of the heavenly man. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And ultimately, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's yes to Jesus. And God's yes to you and I. Do you believe? If you believe in Christ, it changes who you are. Because now you see who is sovereign over life and death. You see that His teachings are true and you change and adjust your life in accordance to His will. That not only do we serve a fallen Savior, but we serve a risen Christ. And the Bible says is that we confess that faith in Him. We say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God risen the third day. And we enact that in our own lives through baptism. Baptism is the gospel portrayal. We die to ourselves. We're buried in what? We rise again. And one day, the future of mankind, as, as Art said, the greatest day in history was Jesus rising from the dead because our destiny depends on it. Your destiny depends on it. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your destiny is in in a grave. Forgotten. But if Jesus indeed rose from the dead, it assures us of life eternal. Will you make that choice today to serve Him? We're going to sing this next song to encourage anyone who has a need to confess Christ, to be immersed into His body, the church, or to repent of sins or prayers of healing. If you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.